Welcome to the Wellness Creator Podcast, where we delve into the business side of online wellness, sharing stories, strategies, and inspiration from people like you who are building meaningful income streams on the internet. If you're in the business of helping people to live healthier, happier lives, this podcast is for you. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified each time we release a new episode. Welcome to the Wellness Creator Podcast. In this episode, episode one, we're going to be sharing the story of building our brand in the wellness industry starting in the winter of 2013 and going all the way up to the present, which is the winter of 2024, right, Sandy? Mm -hmm. So I am Jenny Barcelos. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Marvelous, formerly known as Namastream, and I'm joined here today on the show with Sandy Connery, who is my co-founder. And we've just been at this a while and we want to share a little bit about what we've learned in the last decade in this in this economy. Yeah, no, for sure. Thank you for inviting me for the first episode. Very honored. And I think it's appropriate that we just tell everyone who are wellness creators out there and looking to build a business why they should listen. I mean, we both have so much experience in this field working with Marvelous, working with our community in wellness. So Jenny, why did you start this company? So I started the company because I was on maternity leave essentially from my other career. And I was an environmental lawyer and a human rights lawyer. And I had just had a really profound and special relationship with yoga that really deepened both during my pregnancy and right after having my baby, but also in the years right before that. So when I was in law school, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer and just sort of yoga, I feel like saved my life and my sanity and kind of gave me something grounding to hold on to that was positive in my life during a time of like extreme stress. So I was someone that had never planned on going to yoga teacher training. It wasn't kind of on my career path radar, but I was really drawn to the industry. And so I had then, when I was having my baby, decided to go through teacher training. And I just, I did it to deepen my practice and as just something to do for me as a gift for me. But then when I was home with a baby in my arms and I was thinking about building a business, like the obvious choice for me was to do it in the yoga and the wellness industry, because that was like the place of joy in my life. Mm -hmm. I love that beginning part of your story, how you were on maternity leave and decided, oh, let me just build a software company. Like that's not quite normal person thinking. So why software? Yes. And I'll just add the caveat, Sandy, that we met in a program (laughs) that taught us how to build tech companies. So we met during this phase. So you have your own version of the story, which I think you should share also. So I had spent most of my young career years in Seattle, Washington, which is the home of Amazon and Microsoft. So a lot of the work that I was doing as a an environmental lawyer and human rights lawyer was really like rich in fundraising and I was raising money who had cashed out of tech companies. So my like little brain associated tech with money And the reason that I wanted to build a company in the first place and make money was to fund my legal work. So it was sort of like I saw building a technology company as a path to fund my work in the world, which I saw as my life's purpose. So it was just like, okay, where does money come from? In my mind, it comes from tech. Okay, well, then I should focus on there if I'm looking for money. And it was really like that sort of very naive idea 
that drew me into this in the first place. Right. And as you said, I also wanted to build a software company for different reasons. And I did build a different software company, but I also wanted to build software because of this like so-called passive income. And I wanted to get out of my nine to five. I owned a retail store and a clinic combined. And I wanted to do something from home because I also had a young child. And yeah, so it was in this program that you and I met in Colorado Springs in 2013. 2014. 2014. And we were surrounded by young men who also wanted to build software. So it was an instant. We just kind of glommed on to each other in that moment when we met in that room. And I think we've been sort of stride by stride ever since. Yeah. Inseparable. Codependent. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's I would just be more accurate. That, I think that's the, that is the accurate one. Yeah. And I just, I want to say the actual reason to which we've said before, mm-hmm. you know, in other interviews and conversations, I think it's like really symbolic too of, of like the entire experience as women in tech. And that is, I had just gone through a pretty traumatic miscarriage right before we met. There was this like live event that we were invited to at the end of our six month program together. And I went to Colorado and flew there just sort of still very devastated from this like very personal experience. And I thought I was going to be fine. (laughs) And then, you know, a day into this conference or this meeting, I really wasn't. And I just sort of went and found a corner and tried to hide and cry. And then you came and comforted me. And so that was actually how we met each other. And so I just I think that that is symbolic and special and, you know, something that I it, like it's hard to describe our relationship to each other and our co-founder relationship without people realizing that that was the crux of how we met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. It was a weird moment for sure because yeah. I felt like such an outsider. I was older than everybody else. I was a female. You know, there was like five of us in that entire room or something. So. Yeah. So then what happened? So we met, you had this idea to build software for the yoga space. And then what happened? Yeah. So it was about a year of just sort of hustling at the point that we met Namastream, which is what Marvelous used to be called, had been launched in private beta, which meant that we had built version one of our platform in the late spring of 2014 and launched it to an initial group of pain yoga studios. Let me just interrupt you because yeah. I just realized we haven't explained what it does. Like, what does this software do? Who uses it? And what, like, why are the yoga studios using it? Yes. So we were the first online streaming platform in the industry. So they were at that point, not live streaming because the technology didn't exist yet to do that, but they were video streaming. So it was essentially like a membership or media library, video library experience for their students to access on-demand video content. And this was like very, very early, 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 like didn't exist. Yeah, no. So it was, you know, there were a couple, two, three studios in North America that I had found and talked to the founders of some of those that were doing this themselves, but they had their own technology teams, like building custom technology in-house for those businesses. Some of those seemingly small studios had tens of thousands of students practicing online. And so I quickly realized in the process of having conversations with studio owners and managers all around North America that this was on the horizon. And so we built something that would do that and make it 
relatively inexpensive and easy for folks to get these kinds of platforms off the ground without having to hire an in-house tech team. So that was what it did. It does a lot more now, but that was what it did to begin with. And I think some people, probably newer folks in our audience or people who are learning about Marvelous for the first time through this podcast, probably have no idea, you know, that we were the OG streaming platform in the wellness industry. I remember those days, Jenny, this was right after I joined the company. I remember that we had to like tell yoga teachers and yoga studios right back then we were very, very focused on the yoga industry. Now it's, it's much broader, but like, what if there's a snowstorm? You don't want to lose money. You can go online and keep going. Or what if there's a flood? And we were like giving them the reasons that having this online component to their business was like an insurance policy. I remember you giving that analogy. I thought it was so smart. And people were like, oh, and like today we forget how this is so normal, right? Since, especially Mm -hmm. since the pandemic, but it's so normal and expected to have a presence online and a business online. But back then it really, really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, this is just like any disruptive tech, right? So now what we do doesn't feel very disruptive. It feels like this is normalized. But if you think about the early days of Uber, right, and Lyft, when getting in someone's car, some stranger's car, it wasn't a taxi cab, was like a shocking experience, right? Like no one's going to go in someone's car. That's not safe. That's too weird. How is that? Like, how are you going to know that they're legitimate? Like all the things, right? So how's the insurance industry going to deal with this? So we were in that, we were the disruptors in the industry. And I just like to say that we saw the future, like, you know, the pandemic fast forwarded that future by a decade or so, but we saw it a long time ago. And we saw that because certain studio owners had seen it and had started to develop this technology themselves, right? So we didn't make it up. There was definitely a hunger for this with the early adopters in the industry. But we spent years kind of educating our industry about the need for for Mm -hmm. this kind of a product because, you know, the early adopters that we worked with, our first few waves of customers were the people that buy the first iPhones. You know, it's like the people who wait outside the Apple store when like the iPhone's getting released. And so that's just how any business works is that there's that wave of early adopters. But then trying to get the majority of the industry online was like kind of a slog, right? There were years and years of mostly what we did was public education Mm -hmm. around why technology is good and how to use technology and how to record yourself for a movement practice (laughs) and what cameras to get and how to compress video files. And yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot of resistance back then because people believed that like yoga or anything you needed to be in person. You needed to do adjustments, you need to have hands-on bodies, you needed, you know, like the mm-hmm. spiritual component. Some people were very, very resistant to that. Now I think it's all like, oh, it does actually work. Fantastic. But yeah, it was a slog, as you said. We were like trying to convince people that this was a really good move for their business and they couldn't quite jump to the future and the trends, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just like for every like 10 people you talk to, like two people would get it right away. Mm-hmm. And then like mm-hmm. It would take other people a couple of years and then they'd kind of come along. And I also want to say this like super ironic thing about our early days, the early days of Namastream is that one of our very first customers was based in Baltimore. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people who work at Johns Hopkins live. And so they had the kind of a lot of Johns Hopkins staff and like medical staff and public health folks that would go to their studios. And, you know, back towards our beginning, there was an Ebola outbreak in Africa and Western Africa. And so part of what we were doing is providing a service to people who were coming back from this Ebola outbreak and coming back to the United States and living in quarantine while they were making sure that they weren't spreading Ebola, right? So one of the first use cases of our platform was actually serving people during a pandemic experience. And so like that was an example I would share when I would be making the case or you would be making the case to folks for why a tool like this is so helpful. I just remember like people thought a pandemic or an Ebola outbreak or something was so... Yeah. Like history (laughs) comes true, right? Like it was just kind of like ironic and absurd that in March in 2020, we know what happened, Mm -hmm. but we saw it, right? Like we saw the future and we helped to make this kind of thing possible. So I guess, Sandy, one question I have for you, because you were doing like a lot of our marketing and for a long time, like a lot of our, you know, handling questions from our customers and our audience, how would you say that things have changed? Since like 2016 to now, like, Mm -hmm. because you joined the company in 2015. Mm -hmm. So, really early on, still, we were very much in our early days. And so, like, how have you noticed our audience shift or this industry shift? Yeah, lots of things. So, first of all, it was usually the bigger studios, more established studios that were interested in streaming online or video on demand. It definitely has switched to we have so many independent teachers now. So it's like the average person can create very easily a business online with their yoga practice, Pilates, fitness, whatever it may be. So that's changed. But most importantly, I think what's changed is the audience, the students, the consumer, they've changed. They recognize that this is possible for them, that this works, that they Mm -hmm. can have access to their teacher. You know, if she moves or they move or someone's traveling, you can continue that practice. So that's really different before I think a lot, there was some hesitancy with the teachers, like my students, the demand isn't there. Like the students don't want this. They want to be Mm -hmm. with me. They want to be on the mat with me. And I think that's definitely changed. So to run a business, it makes it a whole lot easier when, you know, who you're you're selling to is like, yeah, I get it. I -hmm. know it. I understand it. And it's like part of my fitness routine is to have the option to stream online or to work out online. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. I would say a fair number of the creators that we serve Mm -hmm. now come to us because they're being asked to provide these services, to provide online options for what they do. And I do want to give the caveat to everyone listening that we fully acknowledge that there is a sacred element to all kinds of wellness, whether you're a naturopath or yoga teacher or another kind of practitioner or a coach, right? There is something very special and sacred about doing that work in person and in community. And so we've tried to replicate that experience the best that we can, but we also still see the place for that in-person work. I'm not, and just want to be clear to everyone listening, like we're not people who think that the internet is replacing everything else, right? Because that would be make for a really kind of sad culture. I don't think there's going back. Like I don't, I don't think unless like there's World War III and, you know, the internet gets shut down, Mm -hmm. you know, the the server farms go away. Like 
societies tend not to go back on these things. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that's just something to point out to folks who are listening to this in the year 2024 and beyond, which is like, yes, the pandemic created like a, an odd bubble of everyone being online all the time, but it really was accentuating a trend that was already taking place. It just accelerated and accentuated that trend. And there's been a little bit of sort of like the tide has rolled back a bit, but we are still so far ahead now of where we were in 2019. And I would say there really is no going back from Mm -hmm. the COVID-19 pandemic and and the internet is here to stay. So we're really here as a resource because we've been doing this for a decade. And that's what this podcast is going to be about is like showing you examples of success stories, talking about trends that we're seeing, what's working, what isn't working, and, you know, hopefully giving you some baseline information that's going to help you make informed decisions about how to have the business that you want. Yeah. And I think you've got a lot of really great guests lined up and interviewing them about their business. And there's just so many incredible entrepreneurs in wellness doing really cool, interesting things. And I think if you're somebody that thinks, oh, everything's free on YouTube, I would challenge that and listen to the upcoming episodes to hear real life examples of these creators doing some amazing things and making some money, like a really good living. Yeah. And we'll also be giving you conversations and tutorials from experts in the industry. So people who are experts at platforms like YouTube or Instagram as well, showing you like what's working on those platforms right now, just so that you have a sense of how you can incorporate those tactics and strategies into your business. So this is really just meant to be a gift and a resource to all of you in the industry. And I I do also want to say, Sandy, that we use the term wellness really broadly. Mm -hmm. We definitely got our start in the yoga industry, which, which I'm sure this story made really clear if you didn't already know that. But then we expanded outward from there into this broader wellness category just because folks came to us. And so anyone who is helping people to live happier, healthier, more productive lives is sort of That's our Mm -hmm. core audience. And so we define wellness like very broadly, like financial wellness and spiritual wellness, physical wellness and (laughs) mental Mm -hmm. wellness, right? Like, and we have all of these practitioners on our platform. Yeah. And I also want to say that I'm sure many of you listening will relate to this, that a lot of people start out with their yoga training, right? And their yoga teacher, and then they like evolve into something else. Mm -hmm. And so we see a lot of independent entrepreneurs, like not studios or gyms create these incredible businesses with their own unique combination of yoga and Ayurvedic or yoga and bar or whatever, like whatever you bring to it. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I think even just the wellness creator, it's not pure anymore. You're not just Mm -hmm. this or just that. There's this beautiful combining of expertise and skills that they bring. And so, so many of our creators on the platform have these unique businesses that just can't be copied. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why we love what we do, right? That's why we made it. And that's why we've we've stuck with it for this long and grown it yeah, and built a company around it. And so I hope that's helpful for everyone here. Is there anything else you want to share with us today, Sandy, while you're no, here? No, I just want to be able to come back. Can I come back? <laughs> of course you can come back anytime you want. <laughs> thank you, Sandy, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. And stay tuned every single week as we release new episodes of this podcast. And we'll be doing some mini tutorials and trainings as well associated with this show that you can watch on social media. So just hit subscribe, stay tuned, and there's lots of great stuff coming for you this year. 
Amazing. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and sell your own courses, coaching programs, memberships, and digital products. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom-branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.